Knowledge at Wharton on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. We are with you each and every weekday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific. And then our show replays in the evenings at 10 p.m. East, 7 p.m. out on the West Coast. And then our show is also available for you to listen to as well. Uh, segments of the show on the Knowledge of Wharton page on iTunes. You can listen to it more there. And also, if you would like, you can find out segments from the show on the Knowledge at Wharton page, uh, the website, which is knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. And when you get there, make sure that you sign up for the newsletters, which come at you every Wednesday and Friday. And then also make sure that you scroll down the homepage and you will be able to find our Knowledge in 5 podcasts, which are samples of the interviews on the show each and every day. All of that and much more at knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Film and TV studio The Weinstein Company has been on the blocks to be sold ever since the numerous allegations of sexual abuse came out against the company's ex-chairman, Harvey Weinstein. But no other company has been willing to take on that firm and all of the baggage that it brings. Now, the Weinstein Company has filed for bankruptcy. So what does this mean to the industry? But also, what does it mean for the women who were abused by Mr. Weinstein? Ann Coughlin is a law professor at the University of Virginia. She joins us on the phone, as does Bruce Markle, who is a professor of bankruptcy law at Northwestern University. And Bruce, thank you both for your time today. Thank Happy you for to be the invitation. here. Thank you both. Bruce, any surprise to you on your side that, that we haven't seen something done on the business side of this up until now? Not really. I mean, the if you just look at the financial side of it, I'm surprised that anybody would try and acquire the assets of this company outside of bankruptcy for the levels that they're talking about. The latest offer was in the neighborhood of half a billion dollars. Um, for that much money, you would think a purchaser would want a lot more uh, assurances of no surprises, and the Weinstein Company is going to have to have lots of surprises, and bankruptcy would be about the only way to go about and do that. So how will this play out in your mind? Well, um, it, it turns on some unknowns to me. Um, I'm assuming that there are lots of financial institutions, banks or other, um, who have lent lots of money to the company and have lent lots of money on the condition that they get a security interest or lien in the assets. Um, if that is the case, which probably is um, uh, for, for, for this company would not be unusual, you know, they will want to get paid first and they will basically be in the driver's seat to call the shots as to who can come in and buy the assets. My you know, my guess is that there are lots of people who would like to buy some or all. I mean, there's 277 films in the library. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a there's an ongoing operation. Um, <clears throat> bankruptcy would allow them to do that and acquire those assets without also acquiring the baggage that comes with Harvey Weinstein. Um, in, in essence, the assets bear without the assets of without the liabilities uh, that. Uh, may attach. Now, the liabilities are all then going to get resolved in bankruptcy, but that would be a different. In, in essence, bankruptcy allows you to separate the assets from the liabilities, and that's what a purchaser would want at this point. And uh, on your side of this, where uh, the, the women that are involved in this, unfortunately, are concerned, what does this mean for them and, and the potential of suits that they would be bringing forward? 
Well, Bruce can speak to that better than I, but I, I, I wanted to frame my comments initially by just noticing that we are using the word baggage to refer to the claims of women who were sexually abused, perhaps raped, and, and sexually harassed by Harvey Weinstein for years. And, and that in itself is an interesting locution to me. But what I suggest we need to do in this instance is to step back and to realize that um, the Me Too movement is about a whole lot more than a single lawsuit or a series of lawsuits or even a litigation movement. It's a social movement um, that is designed to bring about changes in the law itself. So the whole notion is that the movement arose precisely because the law was ineffective to protect these women. And so with that in mind, I take it it's not surprising to me as a feminist scholar, and it's probably not surprising to the survivors either, that they're not going to fare particularly well in bankruptcy. Again, I want to be clear, it's a terrible shame that, that the women who were economically injured may not get compensation, but that's not the point of the movement. The point of the movement is much broader and hopefully its aims can be achieved even if um, or even though uh, the, the bankruptcy proceeding is going to treat these folks as if they're just baggage. So then what does uh, this mean in terms of uh, uh, for for them moving forward? I mean, obviously, you're talking about uh, people that obviously did horrific things to to women in this industry, they did uh, amazing. They made amazingly horrible judgment moving forward. Is there any part of this th that is a, a a win on the legal side in your mind, or on the feminist side on your mind, uh, in, in all of this happening at this point? So I'm, I'm hoping that in the long term there will be a win on the legal side, and and it remains to be seen. You know, historically, how important this will be. Is it a moment or is it a movement or, or part of a broader movement? And, and my intuition is that it's going to be part of a broader movement. So if you just think about what the aims of litigation are and should be, if these women had been able to bring their lawsuits, they would be looking for individual compensation for their economic injuries. But the, these are civil rights cases at their core, and so the objective is much broader than monetary compensation for women. The objective is to educate and deter people in the industry from behave, or any industry from behaving this way. And then also the objective is to incapacitate the abusers and their enablers. And again, I'm not sure how powerful businesses think about bankruptcy and so forth, um, but it seems to me that the movement has been quite successful in bringing down not just Mr. Weinstein, but the people around him who enabled his, his, his crimes and his violations. And we've seen that happen in other industries as well. Um, and again, as I said, this is a social and a political movement as well as a legal movement. And I take it that the whole point of the women who came forward was to say, we've gone to law. Some of us reported these crimes to the police, and prosecutors turned us away on the ground that we wouldn't be believed. And then likewise, some of the women did try to bring sexual harassment claims against these powerful men, and they found that they were silenced in a variety of ways. Um, so... 
So the notion is we need to change the law in some way. And in the interim, until the law changes, we're going to go ahead and use these social tools perhaps to achieve education and deterrence. Uh, I would imagine that a powerful company looking at what happened to uh, Weinstein and his um, executives would, would at least think twice before ignoring these kinds of claims from women going forward. And then incapacitation, they're being removed from their, their positions, again, not because of law, um, law's been ineffective, but because of the, the, the political and social momentum. So I do view it as a success for feminism in the moment, and then hopefully we'll see more long-term changes in the legal structures as well. So then where do you think that that, that part of it probably will take place in the future? Do you think that, that does that occur at the federal level or does that occur at the state level? It's going to have to occur at both levels. Um, we, we certainly see that at, there are times when we will have recourse to, to um, federal legislation and federal constitutional claims, um, but the states play a very large role as well in um, protecting uh, uh, civil rights and enforcing criminal prohibitions. On the criminal side, for example, it seems to be the case that Mr. Weinstein may have committed crimes, let's just speak up about this country, at least in California and in New York. And what we're hearing is that law enforcement in those areas is taking a good hard look at the criminal prohibition side of things to try to figure out why the criminal law failed to step in earlier. Um, and, and then likewise, the sexual harassment cause of action, though that has flowed from Title VII and from federal statutes, mm -hmm. as well as constitutional guarantees of equality, the states also play a very large role in providing support, um, anti-discrimination support and so forth. Bruce, for those people that, that don't follow bankruptcy closely, uh, let's take it back a step and and. The company that was known as the Weinstein Company and all of, as you said, the assets that it has, what will be its future? I mean, obviously, a lot of this will will be sold off. The expectation is that this company, as it was known, will will cease to exist in, at some point, correct? Um, yes, I think that's correct. I mean, what will happen? And just to add, I mean, I think there's also a criminal investigation been opened in London. I mean, this yeah. is an international um, um uh, parade of horrors. Um, a couple things will happen. Um, first, I mean, they haven't filed bankruptcy yet, but when they do, automatically by federal statute, all actions against the company that files will be stayed. Actions against Harvey personally will not, unless he files too, but you know, we'll put that aside for now. So uh, what will happen is bankruptcy puts a freeze on everything so that people can, in essence, take a breath, look around, figure out financially what the best way is to go forward. Is it to reorganize the company and keep it in place? Is it to sell the assets off because the assets will get more than if you kind of kept them together? My guess is, and it's only a guess, um, that what you will have is a, a sale of the assets. Perhaps they are going to be split up to various um, purchasers. I mean, the, the news reports beforehand is that the, the the offer that failed on Sunday was the only offer that wanted to do it outside of bankruptcy, that everybody else wanted either to go into bankruptcy or to get 
uh, various parts of the puzzle, if you will, uh, for their own. And so there will be this period in which you have to kind of figure out, is the Weinstein company without the Weinsteins worth saving? My guess is not. But, you know, someone's willing to pay, you know, like I said, half a billion dollars for whatever is there. Um, and that's, that's not an insignificant sum. Um, you probably will see, you know, they'll probably will attempt to keep the business going for a little bit. There will be some interim financing. Some rights will be exchanged there. But you know, let me go back to a point. You know, the individuals involved, um, Weinstein himself and those who enabled him, uh, potentially the board of directors, they will not be subject to the uh, what's called the automatic stay of bankruptcy. They can still be pursued by private individuals and by public authorities. Um, there may be some efforts in the bankruptcy to stop that, but you know the basic rule is uh, if you haven't filed a bankruptcy case in your own name, you're not entitled to the protections of the bankruptcy code. So the the victims of this horrific of these horrific acts may still be able to pursue, for example, the officers and directors, which they may not have two nickels to rub together, but they certainly right. have insurance that will pay off these claims as well. So if, in fact, the Weinstein Company files, it's going to be, in essence, a bazaar in terms of the assets, what people want to take. Um, and those assets then will be divided up among people who have status as creditors. And unfortunately, women who were... Um, you know, um, horrifically injured uh, by Weinstein and those who enabled him will just have the same status in that bankruptcy as someone who sold them a Rima paper. Mm -hmm. I mean, the bankruptcy just yeah. looks at them as creditors. Um, and first and foremost, um, my guess is that the money will go to the banks because they bargained ahead of time to have uh, a property right in the Weinstein company's assets. So, um, what you will have will be kind of a lot of people trying to make a lot of different types of deals. The people who wind up in control of the Weinstein Company will have to select from those to see which is the best. Um, and some of the things that were talked about beforehand, like for with the New York Attorney General, you know, setting up a victim crimes reparation fund probably is not going to be on the table. Uh, I mean, in, if anything actually hastened um, this problem, it was the suit by the New York uh, attorney general, because I just scared off the purchasers, basically. Well, and, and Ann, I guess to a degree, it's it's saddening the fact that when you think of, of this entire process, that for a to degree, as this lays out, the women are put to a degree pushed to the side in this, and and on the business side of it, the creditors and such are put with the same level of importance as the women that had to go through all of these horrendous acts. Yes, that's exactly right, and and um, I'll leave it to Bruce to to think through the uh, obviously the the to think through and give advice on the bankruptcy side, but again, just in terms of the the way in which we think of um, the value of these claims and the the political interests involved, it is striking to think that a, a woman's injury or a group of women's injury would be on the same level as someone who sold a ream of paper. Um, and, and I get it. The financial uh, arrangements need to be solid and, and, and so forth. But we might ultimately want to have a, a rethinking of all of those questions as well. 
I mean, I guess one thing that I would say is that litigation is not all that it's cracked up to be ever. I mean, this is right. a, a, a particularly yeah. painful example of of a, a man who uh, uh, was a serial abuser for, for at least a quarter of a century from what we're seeing, and he got away with it over and over again with the assistance of some powerful people around him. And it, it is very distressing to see that it's unlikely that people will be compensated uh, financially for their injuries, but that's so often the case. Um, we, we, we tend to focus on the litigation that brings large damages awards, but, but typically the, the damage awards are, are small. They, it takes a very long time for them to come and so forth. Even looking at these cases, some of the women did obtain um, substantial settlements from Weinstein, but some of right. them were settled for maybe for nuisance value. And, and notice as well that what went along with those settlements were the nondisclosure agreements, which prevented the women from speaking out and contributing to this effort to educate, deter, and incapacitate. So I want to be clear that litigation, you know, it's, it's a shame that they won't be able to litigate these cases fully. Um, on the other hand, litigation by itself is is a very limited tool, even in terms of securing compensation. And, and to a degree, yeah, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I just want to add to that. You know that that the priorities um, in terms of bankruptcy are set by Congress. We've had similar discussions with respect to the priorities of claims, for example, in environmental cases where uh, businesses have polluted. Congress didn't elevate environmental claims. Uh, above general unsecured claims either. Um, and so until Congress, I mean, because it's a federal law, bankruptcy, until Congress changes the law to reflect the sensibilities uh, that we are now expressing, um, you know, judges have to apply the law as it's written. And that's the unfortunate consequence of not honoring um, the, the, the extent of the injury as we see it now to uh, all the women who were exposed to wine. Has has there been a push at any point, Bruce, to change that that philosophy in terms of to to take in, into account the personal injury that may be uh, a a person that is involved in a, a case like this, or as you mentioned, in an environmental case, to take care of the of the personal concerns first, outside of the business concerns. No, and indeed, it's kind of gone the opposite. I mean, there was a large bankruptcy of A.H. Robbins in the late 80s, early 90s, where Robbins manufactured an IUD uh, for women that seriously uh, injured them. Um, in that case, the women's claims were estimated in a one-week trial. Um, and, mm. you know, there was a hue and cry at the time that it should be treated differently, but... Um, Getting legislation changing the bankruptcy code um, is notoriously difficult to do. You mentioned, and the, the non-compete uh, uh, agreements that uh, some of the women probably signed uh, as they settled years years ago, and, and to a degree, signing those non-compete, or I should say uh, non-disclosure agreements, uh, that also to a degree, allowed Mr. Weinstein to continue on and do what he was doing for an extended period of time beyond each one of these individual instances. That, that's exactly right. And non-disclosure agreements are used widely in litigation. So again, as Bruce was mentioning, with respect to other you know, potentially um, powerful injuries in the bankruptcy context, um, we, we see, uh, be, being being submerged in the bankruptcy context, we see that same problem happen in in all 
kinds of instances with non-disclosure agreements. And so the case will be settled and the, the public will not be informed at all about what the underlying facts were, the claims, and, and what the liability really looked like. Um, in this context, it seems to be particularly painful because it's been so very difficult for women to have their voices be heard in public on a whole range of issues, including these kinds of issues, um, those which strike closest to home. So the non-disclosure agreements, I, I think, have been extremely problematic. But what has been, um, and, and, and again, I, I don't mean to suggest that the, the problem is unique here, but certainly reading some of the accounts, um, women who uh, had claims against Weinstein were pressing those claims, found themselves in rooms with, with lawyers right. who told them that your reputation will be ruined if you go forward with this, will offer you some kind of modest settlement and signed a non, signed a non-disclosure agreement. One of them, one of the, the, the allegations was most striking. It was something like, we're going to drag you through through the drag you by your hair through the mud if you go forward. And so it seemed to be the case that they went above and beyond uh, it, it, to to extort these these non-disclosure agreements from the women again claiming they would ruin their reputations um, in in ways that were part and parcel of the sexual harassment allegation to begin with. That being said, as you alluded to, uh, this is obviously an important time with uh, not only these allegations against Mr. Weinstein coming forward, but in a variety of different locations, whether it be government, uh, the C-suite, whatever it might be. And is it your expectation that we will see more of these continue to come out as the weeks and months move along? And do you believe that at a point we will have an understanding, a better understanding about what is not right in the culture of the workforce? I, I think so, and I hope so. But one of the things that we haven't mentioned in this context, so, so let me back up. There were women who were willing to come forward even though they had non-disclosure agreements, right. either legally or implicitly. I take it many of the women were silenced for years because they were told, we will ruin your reputation and, and so forth. So there was a silencing that went on explicitly through non-disclosure agreements right. and then through these, these, these threats. But women were willing to come forward and speak, um, but but let's let's remember that and and that that we're talking about working women generally. And my concern has been to focus not just on women who are in the most powerful positions in industry. It was devastating to see that these women, who so many of us thought were just on top of the world, right. I mean, they had the most power that we could imagine. They themselves were subject to abuse and silencing and so forth as part of the ticket to get forward, a ticket that men don't have to pay. But the worry is about women who are in working positions. There was a very striking um, uh, story published on NPR recently not about actresses in Hollywood, but about janitorial workers in Hollywood who are mostly women who are subject to pretty horrific sexual harassment and so forth, right. and their voices aren't being heard at all. Um, and, and the constraints against them are, are, are much more powerful, uh, I, I take it, because they don't have options, places to go to, other places to go to work. Right. So I am, I am, you know, I am hoping that the movement will continue, that it won't be a moment. But, but it's, 
but it's still it's a long way a to go. Time, yeah. yeah. Great having you both with us today. Thank you, Ann. Thank you, Bruce. All the best to you down the road. Thanks Thank so, much. so much. Thank you both. Ann Coughlin from the University of Virginia, Bruce Markell from uh, Northwestern University joining us here on the show. We will take a break. When we come back, we will have our number of the day, and then we will have an update on NAFTA and what's going on with those negotiations this week in Mexico City. We'll do that in just a minute. Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School.